If you have your Bibles or you want to take one in the pew in front of you, you can turn right to the middle of the Scriptures. Isaiah chapter 60 is where we'll be in our time this morning. In uh, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes this morning, I have the task to stir our hearts with the Word of God to be motivated to be about the things that God has us to be about. Uh, Today is really and truly in the Scriptures in Isaiah 60, a wake-up call. I get woken up on a regular basis with four kids, six and under. Uh, Sometimes it's the baby. Sometimes it's uh, like it was on Friday morning at 5 o'clock. It was Naomi poking me in the face to tell me that she couldn't go back to sleep. Um, Sometimes spiritually, we need a wake-up call. We get used to the things of the Lord. We get used to hearing news that should wow us, that should undo us, that should floor us. This passage this morning is one of those passages that calls us to wake up. Listen to Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the the earth. And thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, young camels of Midian and Ephah. All all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with an acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because He has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be opened continually, day and night they shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings. You shall shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. 
Violence shall no more be heard in your land, and devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Let's pray one more time. God, would you meet us this morning? Would you open up your word to us? Would you open up our hearts to receive it? And do your work in us so that we might be more about the mission you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week was Easter. We celebrated what one man has called the single best page of the story of redemption. But there's a lot that led up in the story of the Bible to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it started in Genesis 1 and 2 with the creation of all things where the Lord burst onto the scene of creation. And by the word of his power brings light out of darkness, brings fullness to what was empty and brings form to that which had no form before. Um, and he gives people... A huge mission right there in the first two chapters of Genesis to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with his glory, to subdue it, to rule over it in such a way that that all of creation would scream of his glory, to take what was good in the Garden of Eden and spread it to the ends of the earth. It was an outward focused mission right there in Genesis 1 and 2 that God had for his people. But right on the heels of that, as we know, Genesis 3 comes and we see the fall. And the devastation that has taken place because of sin that has infected every, every part of God's creation. Things aren't as bad as they could be, but every part is touched with sin. And so you see as the story unfolds, God moves back to his people. And his plan includes a man named Abraham and the nation that would come from him. And he gives him a huge promise. He says, Abraham, I'm going to call you out and make you different holy, set apart unto me and and the nation that comes from you. But it was never with the intent uh, that Abraham would be and his nation would be privileged in any sort of way because of something they had done. But it was always so that they could be a light to the nations. So that by, by preserving and blessing them, by him having his presence with them, they could call and draw all the nations into themselves. So you see God's mission that was in Genesis 1 and 2 outward. Now, it's taken a different turn. It's still reaching out, but now it's focused to draw inward to this this actually geographic place, this nation that was was placed in between all the world powers of the day on the trade route so that people traveling through would would see this nation and the God that they serve and they say, what's what's so different about you? Why, Why do you act the way that you do? Why do you have the laws that you have? Who is this God that you serve? And they could say, oh, listen, let me tell you about my God. And as they told him, told them about God, they could, they could invite them to worship this one true God. And so the nations would be drawn in with a drawing effect. Well, we know that Israel couldn't do their mission. They didn't do their mission. 
Instead of, of being set apart to be a blessing to the nations, they became inward focused. They became ones who tried to see themselves as privileged to the exclusion of others. And they actually ended up following, not after God, but after idols. Things that didn't satisfy and provide for them. And so God gave them over to their sins. And they were led into exile. And that's when the prophets, like Isaiah that we read from today, burst onto the scene. With a message from the Lord, calling Israel back. Promising them that, no, you can't do it. You've made a mess of things. So now God himself is coming. And he will do what he's called you to do that you've been unable to do. He will be the blessing to the nations. There's silence in the scriptures for hundreds of years. And then Jesus comes on the scene. We celebrate it in Christmas. We read a passage like this, Arise, shine, for your light has come. But then in an even more full way, when in the fullness of time, Jesus goes to the cross. And he takes the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion. He deals with sin. He takes care of it. And then he rises from the dead, accomplishing victory over sin and his ultimate consequence, death. And it's as if this mission that had been drawing in for so many years, drawing the nations in, now bursts forth again. Like an atomic bomb that that sucks all the energy around it and then bursts forth. That's what happens in the book of Acts. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, now his mission goes forth again to the ends of the earth. But that's not the end of the story. We celebrate it on Easter. Last week, some of you came up to me and you said, Christ is risen. And you expected a response, which was, let's let's say it together. Christ is risen. Say it like you mean it. Christ is risen. And so the question comes, so what? Or maybe more appropriately, now what? Well, the scripture doesn't leave us without the answer to that question. It tells us Christ has risen, but that's not it. He's coming again. He's going, he started his work, but he's coming to complete it. And it tells us what we're to do in between. Sometimes I tend to live, and my guess is that you would tend to live, like that coming of Jesus is somewhere way out there in the future. Probably not in my lifetime. But the Bible tells us that's, that's not the way to, to think and to live. That he could come back any time and complete the work that he started. And we, should live, we are to live with hope of that day, anticipation, hastening that by what we do and by what we're about. My kids get it. Naomi um, says when we're studying the scriptures at night and we come across a pastor like that, she, she wants to know all about it. Daddy, what's it going to be like when Jesus comes back? Is he going to actually come to our house, like right here? Uh, and Naomi would say, that's what it says, baby. He's going to come back. We're going to know him. And she says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run in his arms and snuggle, let him snuggle me up. And that's what I want to have. That's the, that's the picture that I want to have, the anticipation of Jesus coming back. Not to be lulled to sleep because it's, it's, it's not, not today. Well, it wasn't today. Well, it wasn't today. Well, it wasn't today. But, but see, it could be tomorrow. He could come back any time. Well, this passage, Isaiah 60, shows us what the end's like and informs us how to live. We've only got a few minutes, so bear with me. We're going we're gonna to go fast. We're not going to hit all the details, but hopefully we'll get a picture of what it's going to be like. If you're taking notes, three points. Point one, the Lord is in the midst of his people. 
Point two, everyone gets a new status. And point three, everything is set right. We'll take those in order, and then we'll reverse it and apply it to our lives. First of all, the Lord is in the midst of his people. He's in the midst of the city. Verse one, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. Um, it says in verse 5, you shall, you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. There's a number of things there. He says, first of all, his people will be bathed in the glory of the Lord, the light of the Lord. I grew up in uh, working in tobacco fields during the summers. And they'd come by, the truck would come by to pick us up about 5 o'clock. We'd hop in the back of the pickup truck. And believe it or not, even in South Georgia, it would be cold. We'd have our short sleeves on because we knew it was going to get hot. But at that point in the morning, it was, it was cold. And we'd ride in the back of that pickup truck with the wind blowing and the dew fresh. And we'd be freezing by the time we got to the tobacco barns. And what would, be, what would we wait for? We couldn't wait for the sun to rise. The sun to come up over the hill and, and to bathe us with his light so that we could, we, could get to, we could unfreeze our hands and get to work. That's the picture here that God has come. The light has come and, and, and the people are bathed in that light. But not only that, his people will not only be bathed, but his people will be charged. You see it there that his light comes upon them. It, it, it gets on them. It says that, that they shall see and be radiant. It's something that... It, the same word is used when Jonathan, who's been fighting a battle all day long and is worn out, dips his hand in honey and tastes it, and there's brightness that comes back to his eyes. His, his spirit is revived. That's the picture here, that as we're bathed in the light of the Lord, that, that, that we're charged by it. And not only charged, but it says we're changed. You see that later on in, in the passage. Verse 19 talks about it in 20 and, and 21 and 22. The sun shall be no more your light by day. For brightness, shall, nor the, for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your God will be your glory. Um, it talks about us being changed, that, that people will all be righteous, will possess the land for other, uh, forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. So we'll be bathed in the light. We'll be charged up by it. And we'll be changed. We'll be changed more into the likeness of Him who is charging us. And, and the effect of that, that filling up of, of the light of God, the glory of God, is that the nations will be drawn to this light. So it's the picture there, again, of because of what's going on inside of us, the people of God, the nations are drawn to your light, and ultimately the Lord receives glory. He is magnified because of it. The Lord is in, his, in the midst of his people, and it's, it's causing all kind of, of crazy good things to happen. Number two, we also see that everyone gets a new status. Not only does the Lord come in his midst and fill us up, but everyone gets a new status in this, in this passage. I won't go into all the details. You can read, read it later. But verses 6 through 9 and 17 and 18 talk of all kind of things coming into the city camels and, and flocks and ships and, and gold and, and other metals. It's, it's like a parade of the nations coming in and out bringing the best to offer. And it's a, it's a new status, one of acceptance and of transformation. Um, and and it's, it's odd because if you go back and read chapter 2 of Isaiah, some of the very things that are mentioned in this passage are said to be hated by the Lord and to be devoted to destruction. So, 
Either Isaiah is confused or there's something more to the, the, the face value of these words. Those things that, that are devoted to destruction in, in the terms of Scripture are not destruction to be obliterated, to be annihilated, but to be devoted to purification, to, to have their purpose and, and their function changed, not to be obliterated, but to be transformed, made new, and given new purposes. Purposes that they, they should have been given in the first place is the idea here. And the ships of Tarsus is one of them. One that was, it was used of mankind to, to glory in themselves, to make much of themselves, to, to show their idolatrous spirit, is now seen speeding the children of God and the wealth of the nations into the city of God. Something that was used to glorify man is now used to make much of, of God. That, that cultural artifact has been transformed and changed. And so too, the people that enter. They can't come the way they were. They need to be changed, and so God does that. The Lord is in the midst of the city. Everyone gets a new status. And number three, everything is set right. You see it all through uh, uh, verses 10 through 16. You see the building and, and ministry. There's a zeal for the people that are coming in to, to play a citizen's role, a commitment to, to, to everything that makes the city secure and strong. You see in, a, in verse 11, the parade of nations. You see the kings coming in. Um, uh, before their nations as representatives of their culture, as if they're, they're handing back the power that God had delegated to them for just a time. And they're saying, this has always been yours. We've used it wrongly. We're giving it back to the one that it rightly belongs to. There's a closing off of sinful history. Um, there's a bowing of the knee, a reversal of roles. Those that were uh, afflicting injustice, now things are set right and justice reigns. There's a knowledge of truth about who the Lord is. And here right in the midst of this is one verse of warning, one verse of bad news amidst all the good news. It's verse 12. The nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. In the midst of all the good news is is a reminder that all is not well if you aren't on the side of this king that has come. And it's the kingdoms, not just in a corporate sense, but even the kingdom of self in an individual sense. We too as individuals have to bow the knee to the Lord, find ourselves on his side, and then we can be assured that everything will be set right. So the Lord is in the midst of his people. Everyone gets a new status, the changing of the Lord, and then everything is set right. That's the picture of where things are headed. So what does that tell us? about what our job is, what we're to be about now. Well, let's take it backwards. The last one, everything is set right. For you, that means if you're a child of God, you win. You win. Everything is going to be set right. So in whatever way, whatever manner you experience injustice, you experience the, uh, the devastation of sin in your own heart or in your own life, in your own business, in your own family, you're guaranteed, if you're a child of God, that will be set right. I wrote down in my notes, and, and I realized uh, in the first service, it's probably not the best way to say it, but I, I put, that it means we can stop acting like losers. Um, I'm not calling you losers. I'm just saying, we win. If you're on God's side, things will be set right. And so, in the midst of, of your trial, whatever it is, a passage like this lifts you above the fray and says, look at where it's headed. Things are not always going to be like your circumstances seem they are right now. There's going to be a reckoning. 
Secondly, if everyone gets a new status, then we now need to learn to view things through the lens of what might be. What are the ships of Tarsus in our day? Where are the areas that we can enter in and start to work for that transformation and change so that whatever things maybe even are sinfully used now can be, can be made more to, to reflect the glory of the Lord, to be transformed, to speed us to God. In the last five years of ministry here, I've gotten to see at least, I'd say, eight to ten guys called into ministry through our presbytery, going to seminary. And it's, it's a great thing. But how many more? have grown up in our midst being called to other areas of God's good creation to work and to give themselves to. And, and areas that they can, there are ships of Tarshish that they can board and in whatever way humanly possible work to see that molded and transformed to, to, to scream of the glory of God. Now most of the time that is a difficult journey because we add our own sin to it. We tend to steer the ships in the wrong direction and, and there's so much working against it. But what we're guaranteed here is that's where it's headed. That's what God's doing. So we can work with hope that it's going to be completed. And finally, and most importantly, what about the truth that the Lord is in your midst? Well, here's the good thing about that. It's already true. That's what we celebrated last week with the resurrection, that, that God is already in our midst. Not, not perfectly, not completely like he will be pictured here, but, but already true. And if so, if that's true, then the other two things should be happening. We should be seeing things turned to reflect more the glory of God. We should, we should be viewing our circumstances with a view of the, this is not how it's always going to be. Things will be set right. This verse 1 and 2 is it's not just a prediction, but it's a summons. Arise, wake up, get up. God is in your midst. Now you, people of God, shine with this infectious, charged-up shining because of what God is doing in you. How do you do that? Two ways. First of all, you worship. And second, you practice. You worship God. You worship God. You bathe in His light. You let the Word of God charge you up, get on you, and you let it change you. And, and as you do that, it says there's a magnetic effect to it. The nations will be drawn to that. People will be drawn to that. And you can point them to the Lord. Last year, Michael McGee won a, a, an extra ticket to a worship conference. And he, for some reason, asked me to go with him. And it was, it was great. It was a conference of thousands of worship leaders who every Sunday pour themselves out and probably miss out on parts of worship because of what they're doing behind the scenes. And so you've got thousands of people here that are just hungry to be filled up, to be bathed in the gospel light, to be charged up by it, to be renewed and changed by it. And, and I tell you, this were glorious times of worship. Well, you get that opportunity every week. Michael and Rebecca, the musicians, uh, Chip in his preparation every week to present the, God, the Word of God to us. We get the chance every week to come in here and be bathed in, in the glory of God through the teaching of His Word, through worship. Don't, don't miss out on that. And then daily, pour yourself into God's Word to be charged up on a day-to-day -day basis. And let that light draw others uh, to God. And that's the second thing is practice. You know, obey. <laughs> um, obedience doesn't earn us favor with God. It's not a condition for our acceptance to God. Jesus has already done that. That's what we celebrated last, last week. 
But in some ways, obedience is a condition of mission. In order for God to do the things to draw the nations to himself, it requires our obedience. And God can, can accomplish it without you or without me, but when we miss out on the benefit of being about the things that he's called us to and the joy that comes with that. Last week, Chip spoke to us on the resurrection from John chapter 21. And in that passage, it's the restoration of Peter. And, and Jesus asked Peter three different times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Well, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. What was Jesus doing? He wasn't saying, hey, Peter, do you love my people? Do you love the sheep? Peter would say, no. They bite, right? Peter, do you love the world? God, I look at the world and it looks like it's going downhill. I mean, I want to love it, but it's hard. He doesn't say that. He says, Peter, do you love me? Well, then he says, let that be your motivation to be about mission. Fill yourself up with a love for me, he says to Peter. And let that, that infect you so that then you are magnetic. And in, 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 in you being obedient and being a worshiper, the, the nations are drawn to me. It's missional magnetism. It's what we have here in Isaiah 60. Um, let's pray as we end that God would make us more like that. That he'd fill us up with himself on a, on a day-to-day, on a week-to-week basis. And through that, it'll be infectious. And others will be drawn to his light. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't leave us without hope, but you give us your word to help lift us above the fray to see where things are headed and then to make applications on a day-to-day basis of what that means for how we live. God, thank you that you're going to complete the work that you started. You started. And God, on one sense, we do pray that you would come back today, make things complete, renew this world and us, the things that you've started. In other sense, God, it scares us to death because those that have not bowed the knee to you will perish. God, we do pray you come quickly, but in the meantime, help us to be about your mission. Help us to be so filled up with you and then to obey you out of that love and see others drawn to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.